Welcome to Everyday Driver, where cars are more than just transportation. They're freedom, a common ground, a way to grow, and can even make life better. We're here to help everyone find a car they love and discover all the ways they connect us. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is The Car Debate. We just released a cheap car challenge from a couple seasons ago, two or three seasons ago, as a matter yeah, of fact, yeah, yeah. that is different than the cheap car sports car challenge that uh-huh. we're currently in the midst of right now. <laughs> so I know it's confusing. We should it's clarify. Just, yes. It's how it's just how it dropped because we're putting older TV pieces on mm-hmm. the main YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens that we drove some under $10,000 sports cars yeah. as a television piece in the midst of this cheap sports car challenge with a threshold of $7,500 yes. or less. I, I realize that's confusing, but they're, they're competing, and I, I hope you understand that the yeah. Cheap Sports Car Challenge is ongoing for at least 12 months of mm-hmm. content, mm-hmm. so about a, a video a month, yeah. versus this one TV piece that included the 370Z, which mm-hmm. people are going... A Z car, three seventy Z for under ten grand. Indeed, I looked. We wouldn't allow it in if we didn't find at least a couple examples. Well, that, that was the. Th- there's a couple things going on here that that kind of reset that reality. First off, I was kind of excited by the fact that as these old TV releases were happening, that cheap car challenge was going to happen around us starting our our new one. I like mm-hmm, that because mm-hmm. that was when you and I first got to film this idea. Because you and I talk about this obviously on the podcast all the time about look at how cheap stuff is, you know, yeah. and, and being surprised by the performance you can get for your dollars if you buy old uh, used cheap sports cars. So I was glad that it was going to align, but yeah, it has started some level of confusion. But it also shows the alt stuff we didn't buy that's still available. Yeah, but which then is the nice. other weirdness is right now in the middle of twenty back into twenty twenty, which is super weird anyway. <laughs> the used car market is booming. Yeah, yeah. So prices right now from what they were a year ago are up like 25 plus percent. I mean, they're up a lot. So people are hopping online right now going, I can't find a 370Z for 10 grand. You're right. You can't. But here's the thing. Uh, almost two years ago now, it's been like 18 months, then, but almost two years ago when we shot yeah. the, the 370Z we had in that piece was currently for sale for 10 grand. Right, exactly. For right. like 99.90 or something like that. Yeah. And that's why we Which actually counts. contacted the guy yeah. and were able to use his car. So that's the thing is that if you're watching it now, not only is it a little bit older, and we're glad we can share it, but also the fact that the prices have gone weird since then. So it's a whole other <laughs> That's a very crazy good world. Point. It all started when we were sourcing Corvettes for our American original Corvette comparison. Yeah, 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 you're right. You're right. And we needed a C4 Corvette. And somebody in town had one. We had seen it at the local uh, Cars and Coffee and approached him and started talking to him. And he said, yeah, I got this thing. I paid five grand. And both Todd and I said, Excuse me, what? Five thousand dollars? Conversation stopped. That refocused and said, "I'm sorry, Wait, you're gonna have to back up." What? And so there were some very, very big things wrong. Some major things wrong. I guess there was no key at some point. No, no. The issue for was, that car. The issue was, as I remember it, this guy. This guy, by the way, is a mechanic. This guy that got this five thousand dollars C4. He's okay? a mechanic at a ski resort. Yes, taking care of all the snowcat engines and maintenance. And at the, and so here, he knows his way around. And as things mechanics. twist here again, when we shot, we also looked because we wanted to put a C5 on camera for that cheap sports car thing. Right, right. But they were over ten grand when we shot it. <laughs> which is yeah. why we went C4. Yeah. And then this C4 specifically happened to be one we were already getting for the film. But but the story, as I remember it, is the the original owner, some some older guy that had bought it and didn't drive it much, started to have odometer problems. Okay. okay. So when they replaced the odometer, nobody thought about the fact that at the time, this is the beginning of smart keys. That's right. It had a tiny a chip square, in it. square smart key with a tiny chip in it. And yeah. that was linked to the odometer. Something in the instrument cluster. When they replaced the instrument cluster, they didn't replace the key, and the car would now no longer start consistently. That's right. That's right. And the owner was like, I don't know how to solve this, and the dealer isn't really sure what's happening, and so I'll get rid of it for five grand. This guy took it, dug in, did some research, thought about the lineage of the car. In fact, the new place is like, oh, it's a key problem. So he figured it out. He connected the key properly to the odometer, $5,000 vet that runs. And and I know you might be thinking, well, this is a complete one-off. If you go go around to the other side of the car that we neglected to show on camera, and there was quite a bit of fiberglass damage right over the front right corner i believe there's some so yes it wasn't like a pristine card only had a, a smart key problem mm. it wasn't that it got us it was beat up enough for us to start thinking 
well, I wonder if this is limited to just this card. Mm-hmm, is there mm-hmm. is there more? You're and so right, we started right, looking, yeah. and then indeed we did discover ten thousand dollar boxsters. Are you kidding? Yeah, ten thousand dollar Z cards. What? And and now the boxsters so, are eight, and it, it's yeah, just yeah, this yeah. Is it, how it, it wasn't all continues. just the one off. You're right. No, the, absolutely. The car was rough. It wasn't yeah. just a perfect C four, and all it has a key problem. <laughs> okay, I'll, get, I'll let it go for five grand. You're That's right. You're it. right. It, it, it had uh, it had a bit of a hard life in spite of it <laughs> yeah, not running well. Yeah, it needed some maintenance. When you want to wash your car but you're short on time, Griot's has two new ideas for fast and easy washing in your garage or driveway without even having to rinse. Try the rinseless wash and wax kit or the waterless PFM spray-on car wash kit from Griot's Garage. They're both ideal if the weather has gotten colder outside or you're an apartment dweller or if you live in an area where hose and bucket washing is restricted or inconvenient. You can get a perfect wash indoors or out in a quarter of the time it takes to wash a car normally. These kits are a no-hassle way to keep your car looking really sharp. Remember, Griot's Garage products are 100% guaranteed, and all their liquid products are made right here in the USA. When you're ordering at griotsgarage.com, remember to use the code EVERYDAY for 15% off liquids and 10% off everything else. That's G-R-I-O-T-S. Enjoy the finest quality car care products you can buy at griotsgarage.com. Happy Tuesday. Welcome back to the podcast. We've got a very interesting topic Tuesday, which I think is a business question about the car industry. It's more mm, of a product mm, planning kind of question yeah, yeah, yeah. from Drew V. And then we've got a very interesting car debate. It's all about Cadillacs. It is. And I have many thoughts. The, uh, I, the I, Cadillac I, Man movie from 1990 came to mind. Oh, really? This. Okay. Anthony V is in North Jersey writing to us. And he's a he's an owner and driver of old Cadillacs and loves them. I'm going to be spearing off into a little bit of uh, tough love uh, treatment <laughs> okay. and, uh, and and psychology today. But, we're, but anyway, we're going to start with Cadillacs for sure. All right. Well, on to the topic Tuesday. This question from Drew is about sports cars and platforms. The question is, first of all, we all know that sports cars on unique dedicated platforms are things to be celebrated, Drew says. Mm-hmm. But it seems manufacturing trends are moving away from that. Okay, fair enough. Are there any truly great... Full stop, no qualifying statements required, sports cars built on a shared platform. Mm. Is this even possible? And to get more pie in the sky, Drew says, could a manufacturer with genuine sporting intentions or goals build a portfolio line by massaging a sports car chassis into different models? Mm. And by different models, do you mean minivans and people movers and trucks? He and means kind of everything. Yeah. Other things? Yeah, 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 it's crazy. Well, first of all, Drew... Incredible question. I love that you're thinking like a product planner and Mm, mm. depends on the company and culture for each car company. Product planners don't really consult the designers. The designers are giving a product brief. The managers are consulted, but not the design team at large. It is the design manager to go to the team and say, team, here's what the product planners are discussing based on the business goals, based on management's Mm -hmm. goals for the car company and the industry. (laughs) More SUVs. You don't get to decide. Yeah. Here's the project brief. Again, this is a broad generalization. This does not, it, it depends on the culture. But car manufacturers are not nonprofits. <laughs> they're, they're donate, not sh- donate now to your local large car maker. <laughs> on the way out of the grocery store, BMW needs your help. <laughs> Guy standing there with a Rondell, a little can. Volkswagen can help? Group is struggling. Please help. By the way, Volkswagen Group, not struggling. They have not over 510,000 employees. What yeah. are you talking about? They, they will not be standing out of grocery stores anytime <laughs> soon. Yes, true. So sharing platforms is purely a business decision. So part costs and assembly is a huge issue. Mm-hmm. The location on the planet where these cars are built is a very big deal, mm-hmm. as is mm-hmm. the healthcare for the people who build the cars. Yes. All of these factor in before the coolness of design and engineering even mm-hmm. come into play. Mm-hmm. Those are the goals that, I hate to say it, supersede the design. And then mm, it's the designer's point. job to make it saleable, make mm-hmm. it appealing, make yeah, it yeah, beautiful yeah. and interesting. Yeah. And here's all the stuff you got to deal with. Don't we have four SUVs already? How are we doing three more? I don't know. We're just going to make three more. They're exactly. going to sell. Drew, you got me interested in sports car shared platforms. And as an example, I know all of you can think of way more, but I thought of yours, Todd, the Lotus mm-hmm. Elise and the first generation Tesla Roadster that I think mm-hmm. everybody's forgotten about because when they say Tesla Roadster, they think of Elon think Musk's of the up, the pie one. in the sky, quarter million dollar. Yes. It's better than everything thing. The, the original Tesla Roadster, let's be honest, it was Tesla's proof of concept. 
Right. And it was quite right. impressive for a company of like six people. I mean, the Tesla proof, proof of concept, what they did is they, right. they, they took the load. And I have a side note story on this that just happened this weekend with my son, by the way, because we saw okay. an orange original Roadster this weekend. And my son got angry. Because what? he knew it was taken from a Lotus, and he was angry that it was taken from a Lotus. And then we had to unpack. And at least and, wasn't destroyed to make that Exactly. Car. And we also had to unpack and explain to him, they didn't steal it. It was built on the Lotus chat. They, they paid Lotus for the – and then he was like, oh, now I get – he thought it was like we've stolen it, and we made our own car, and it made him angry. And I was like, buddy, that's not what we're talking about. When I say taken from the Lotus, at least I don't mean like taken, taken, okay? Introducing your 10-year-old to legal ramifications. Yeah, exactly. No, no. Intellectual property. None of that. But so, so what actually happened is that Tesla, and I'm sure, look, there's a bunch of behind the scenes I don't know here, but essentially Tesla had Lotus building at least chassis with about an 8-inch stretch on them. Right. And right. They, they were rolling chassis, so no engine. And then all of the electronics and the engines and all of that stuff and the batteries were all put in in the U.S. by Tesla with their small number of employees. And right. as a result, the car is a thousand pounds heavier. Wonder, ah, we need to drive that car. I would be curious to drive it. Would, it had, if memory serves, I think it had a two speed transmission because they yeah. were still figuring that out. Right. But again, there's an orange one in town. I'd be fascinated to put them together. It'd be really, really interesting. And that was the beginning of that. But, but back to my son's outrage is that, <laughs> is that Lotus was being paid for that. Okay, of they were course. being paid were to being make extra chassis, you know, totally, totally. So it makes a very different car dynamically from what I understand because, of, again, it's eight inches longer and a thousand pounds heavier. So intriguing. Which is fascinating to do to that car. And again, we got to find that orange one in town because I'd love to do it. That'd be really cool. That would be interesting. Well, that is a shared platform by virtue of just people working on it and making it that way versus the Porsche Cayman and Boxster, the second gen 987 Boxster and the first generation 987 Cayman were the first sharing of that platform. Sure. And of course all the subsequent Cayman and Boxsters, but the GT4 Cayman is a shared platform with the 991, which is interesting. That's how close they are. Interesting. It's not yeah. just the engine detune. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of shared platform there. Huh. Of course, the Toyota GR Supra and the BMW Z4. The Supra, the, as everybody likes to say, Supra, yes. Built on the same assembly line. Mm-hmm. The Toyota 86 I came to and I thought, is this a shared platform? Is it just rebadged? Is it just a I mean, it's mostly just body panels. Thing. It's front and rear yeah. body panels. And it's, it's I mean, the same the, everything. There's a lot of misinformation there. And when they first were released, they were farther apart than they are now. When they first were released, Toyota and Subaru had slightly different uh, suspension tuning, and the BRZ was more prone to, to understeer because it was a Subaru product. Mm-hmm. They, they tuned it for their market more. Yeah. And the eighty, the pardon me, the FRS eighty six, whatever you want to call it, was surprisingly neutral for yeah. a car sold to the general public. Yeah. And then over time, they kind of grew together in suspension tuning. So honestly, at this point, it's you're almost itself, just looking right? at badging. You're just like, what what does Subaru call that versus Toyota call that special edition whatever? And it's front and rear clips. It, it, there, there's all this misinformation when they came out. Mm-hmm. Like they were two different cars. They're not two different cars. They're really not. They're not. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Well, the Nissan GTR is built on the premium midship platform, which is just an evolution of the Nissan front midship platform. Interesting. So does that make it a shared platform car, even though nothing else in the Nissan lineup comes close to the GTR? Yeah. It kind of is. Mm. Jaguar is in an interesting situation, I will say, because they (laughs) use four or five five platforms. Tata Motors doesn't really know what to do with them. Their sales Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. are far exceeded by BMW and Mercedes on any given day. And, you know, they're trying to decide what to do with Jaguar. I do see it alongside Infinity going all electric. And then finally, Volvo. They're smart, but they use just two platforms to get everything done. One engine and two platforms. Yeah. And they've got all these different models. But let me go, Drew, to sports car unshared platforms. And I think now that we've talked it through, the 86 does go here because it's not shared with anything else. Nor do I see it ever being shared with anything else. Yeah. So from a business standpoint, you're running the car company. And sales are not the RAV4. How do you justify its existence? I I remain shocked that they did. And yet they have, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is exciting for all of us enthusiasts. Totally. Okay, how about the new C8, the Corvette Stingray, the brand new? That's a brand new invented Mm -hmm. platform. Mm -hmm. It's not shared with anything, Mm -hmm. but it will be shared with future hybrid and electric models of the Corvette, but I don't see that being shared with anything. Mm -hmm. They're Mm -hmm. almost obligated to build that, GM is. Mm -hmm. Because it's the Corvette. You have to do a separate platform. Here's one I just thought of. The third-gen Mazda Miata, the NC Miata, shared a platform with the same-generation RX-8. 
which oh. is the, which is why the NC was significantly larger, larger. than the Miatas that's prior. Right. But this is exactly what we're talking about. Now that's, if you will, two rear wheel drive cars coming from the same architecture, and that is just splitting the cost. And this is the thing that's been discussed about the eighty six platform: is wouldn't it be interesting? And, and the answer, by the way, Toyota is yes, this would be interesting. The internet rumor <laughs> is: can you take that platform and could you make a small? Two plus two real four seater or small, hopefully actual four seat sedan on that rear wheel drive platform to amortize out the cost. Now I don't know what you call that car, because honestly you are you're making an alt to something like a Corolla or a Camry. Mm-hmm. But wouldn't that be interesting? Because the problem that that exists here is what's the architecture of the platform? And I'll give you an extreme one before we get back to sports cars. Volkswagen's MQB platform mm-hmm. is practically their whole lineup. Pretty much, yeah. they built a platform. I, it's, I'm going to get it wrong, but it's like more than a decade ago they built a platform where the firewall. And the initial firewall A-pillars are the same through almost their entire lineup. And then they can change distance of the axles. And then they use that same ubiquitous two-liter four-cylinder in everything. So you had everything from tiny little city cars to actual SUVs using the bones of the MQB platform. But what's interesting there, unlike the sports car thing we're discussing, is that is a front-wheel drive architecture. It's not rear-wheel drive architecture. Yes, right. So that allows you. Bias. You can add the Haldex you can, if yes, you Yes, you can do Haldex. You can, you can yeah. add all-wheel drive systems, but it still remains front-wheel drive biased, yeah. which allows you a lot more flexibility than building a rear-wheel drive sports car that needs to converge with front-wheel drive anything, which is why I bring up NC Miata and RX-8, because those are both rear-wheel drive. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. the problem that's happening here is, by and large, you have automakers that are making front-wheel drive or front-wheel drive entire product lines. And then yes. here we are as enthusiasts going, well, but a sports car is a two-seat rear-wheel drive platform, which means new platform, folks. Pretty much. Well, here's some potential, potential not great news for Ford Mustang lovers. <laughs> Today, bad news. Well, I, I don't know what future Mustangs, what they'll drive like. You would think that future Mustangs, as we know them, not the Mustang Mach-E, should be still enthusiast car. Because currently it's on the S550 platform from Ford. But they're talking about putting the Mustang on the future CD6 platform, which is in existence now. But that's mid and full size SUVs. Mm. Wait, it's the Mustang. How can you do mm. that? Mm. Because you're you're running a business, yeah. and you've got to make yeah. business decisions. And us sports car enthusiasts kind of take a back seat. We're we're even further down the list than yes. the design and engineering team. Yes, and. Everybody else, and then us, and then, you know, I don't know who's left. I'll give you another one that kind of relates to that thinking, but again, is is past now. When Nissan was making the 350Z, mm-hmm. it was tangentially related to the Infinity, actually directly related to the Infinity G37, which was a 2 plus 2 rear-wheel drive, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it was also related to the Infinity FX45. That's right. Which was a rear-wheel drive biased five-seat SUV before they were a thing. But again, it was rear-wheel drive biased. That's right. So what's interesting is to watch the connectivity of engine placement and driveline is linking those three. But you have the 350Z, which is directly to Drew's question. Here is a dedicated two-seat sports car that has connectivity to the FX45 rear-wheel drive SUV. But you can see how that particular sports car is a little bit bigger and heavier, and there's there's lighter choices on the market. Yes, you're, you're right. You're but right. they are right. dedicated platforms. A couple other examples, the Acura NSX, second generation, and the Alfa Romeo Giulia and Quadrifoglio. This is not a sports car. I realize mm-hmm. that. But the, the platform started out as a full brand new platform. You're right. You're right. Now, that will spawn more cars off of that platform because, again, that's just good business. Mm-hmm. Just they got to amortize it out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So to answer your question, Drew, can sports cars be shared on different platforms? Yes, but obviously by these examples, it's limited. It's still in the sports car realm. Mm-hmm. As soon as we get into the future Ford Mustang, whatever that is, if it is truly on like your Nissan example and mm-hmm. like this – you know, the Mustang going to a completely different platform and it's not its own standalone platform. That doesn't make any sense because the C8 Corvette is doing it. Why not make the Mustang its own? Just let it remain its own platform. You've yeah. got it pretty dialed right now. Yeah. But then what does it mean for future Mustang power delivery? And, and mm-hmm. do they have even more power? What, what's going on? What, what will that be? I mean, we obviously, not only have we not seen the books, but they're not going to show us the books. But I, if I had to guess... I bet you that the C8 is going to run in the red its entire life. 
It's the Halo car, though. It is. Brings See, you into you the have dealership. to do it because you go, oh, Chevy's doing that. But yeah. Bespoke we can program, a traverse, though. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, yeah. that's but, where you're Bespoke you program, mid, mid-engine for the first time. Yeah. I mean, everything is kind of new. Yeah. That was wildly expensive. And, and if you take it just staying in GM for a second, there's lots of rumors that the Camaro will die or at least die for a bit yeah. because yeah. it can't make its numbers. Until it comes back on a minivan f- platform. Woohoo, you know it. To go with the Blazer. <laughs> now the sister to the Blazer is the oh, new Camaro. They build them anyway. both on the same platform. Oh. Can you imagine? But, but back oh. to platform sharing there, though. The Cadillac ATS that we liked, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. really surprisingly good four-door rear-wheel drive sedan. Yes. Could be all-wheel drive, but yes. rear-wheel drive sedan, four-door, good rotation, Great chassis, nice handling. Guess what? Same chassis as the Camaro. So you're seeing Same. that connectivity. But the problem is the ATS didn't sell well. The yeah. Camaro isn't selling like huge numbers. So you end up with a scenario where it's, well, we should make a blazer that looks like a family hauler. And maybe we should make another SUV because we can share platform components. Because that's what people are buying. And it's tough to introduce the sports car without sharing the platform. Because there's some companies that are justifying it. Toyota is one. They're yes. justifying the existence and continued existence. We're hearing the same rumors that you are, but nothing confirmed yet. Yeah. That car's not a sales global sales leader. No. I'll guarantee you the CHR sells more. Toyota. Guarantee. Toyota has flat out told us, and other journalists as well, that three to four thousand super sales a year makes three, them happy. Three to four thousand yeah. folks would be perfectly acceptable by them. This is a company that is selling over 400,000 RAV4s a year. 400,000 RAV4s. And if they get, you know, 4,000 super sales, that's about what we expected. That is planning to take a hit. And yet they have justified it. The, yeah, yeah. From top management on down has justified that. Now, things change as you start to get into future platforms. Oh, yeah. And an example is Volkswagen and their new PPE platform that is the Premium Platform Electric. Okay. It is co-developed by Audi and Porsche. Rear-wheel drive is standard. All-wheel drive can be added and available. But this is what's being talked about to be used in the future for electric Caymans and Boxsters mm. sold alongside the current regular Cayman and Boxster that are on different platforms. They're because talking about a platform it, switch? Both will be used. Really? One for electric, one for gas. Okay. All right. Keep if going. they're sold alongside. Wow. All which right. is fascinating because you think in the future – Electric will change everything about platform sharing. Oh, completely. There is no longer the single large heavy lump that you have to deal with. The weight is more evenly distributed. Motors are heavy, but they're not engine heavy. They're not even as heavy as a four-cylinder engine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Point taken. Well, batteries can be distributed. The weight of them. And if you're doing the thing where there's a motor on each wheel. Yes. Then you're not even, I mean, you're moving it around like crazy again. So that changes the packaging. It changes the space inside. Mm -hmm. You know, you get in a Tesla, the floor is flat. Mm-hmm. You think, well, there's a front wheel. No, it's electric, right? Yep. It's yep. The, the whole packaging layout changes. So what's going on here is the e-trons, the Audi e-trons, are using various platforms, but they're not all using the same platform. The Audi Q4 e-tron is using the MEB, the Modular Electric wow. Toolkit platform. But the J1 performance platform is used by the e-tron GT and the Porsche Taycan <laughs> and the Taycan Sport Turismo and... <laughs> But then they have another one, the MLB, the Evo platform, which is the current e-tron that you see driving around right Unbelievable. now. Unbelievable. All right, yeah. Now, Ford and Volkswagen have signed a historic agreement in mid-2020 to license. Ford is licensing that MEB platform. Okay. It's primarily targeted at Ford of Europe, and it's more about one-ton vans and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. pickup trucks that are named Amarok and things like that. <laughs> but get the this. Amarok. But get this, the recent example of the using of that by Volkswagen is the ID4. Mm-hmm. You know, the company that can't pronounce diesel anymore and is uh, all in it for electric? Diesel, what was that? The ID4 is indeed for North America. Volkswagen is investing in Ford's Argo AI in return. So there's a lot of symbiotic things going on, and mm-hmm. it does come down to business. Yeah, and the other thing that's, that's interesting about electric, we get back into the, as we think about future shared platforms options, I think about, and this is going to terrify all of us, but uh, back to the late 90s, <laughs> when you were coming out of Art Center, Oh yeah, I yeah, remember yeah. seeing a lot of your classmates' designs for future tech, uh-huh, for future uh-huh, cars, et cetera, right. and they were doing the thing that, frankly, has been discussed decades prior 
Okay. But the skateboard concept. But we're just now getting there. Right. Okay. That was 20 years ago or so. Remember Faraday Future? When, I remember know, those guys. Remember them? The, the, their first car that they had their big splash with was a single seat, you kind of lay down, white leather interior sports car. But their whole presentation was how that was built on a skateboard. Right. And right. so because it's electric and you can put the wheel, the, the motors at the wheels, you can shorten, lengthen. All you lost now is batteries. But how many batteries? Because the platform got shorter. You don't have as many batteries in the floor. You can do rear-wheel drive, front-wheel drive, all-wheel drive because you're putting motors at the wheels. And it's, this, it's theoretically now. Theoretically. Join me in the world of theory. The water is cold. <laughs> it's a skateboard that you can put any type of chassis on the top of, any type of body on the top of. Right, right. Even to the fact back when you were in Art Center in the late 90s, people were showing, here's my idea. You can make it, I mean, literally, this was the pitch. You can make it a little hatchback when you need to commute. You can make it, you can take the, the body off and you can put the uh, full minivan body on it when you want to take a road trip and when yeah. you want to have fun this weekend, you can put your sports car body on it. Now it comes back to that thing that you've always raged about, which exactly. is make it one thing. It needs to be one thing. Your jacket needs to be your jacket. Your belt should not be reversible. Don't buy that desk that grows with your toddler into a teenager. Don't buy that desk. Just buy the furniture you need. It's, uh, but, it doesn't but this, do well in sales. But this is the thing that people have, have thought about for a while, and we're just now getting to the, not reality, possibility of it with electric platforms. But I have to ask this question. The actual swappable body thing is, where do you store the body? But that's a side note. But but <laughs> At it, your dealer. It, yeah, but it does. Yeah, that's an excellent point. But it does create the possibility where theoretically you could have one platform that can be a sports car and a minivan, and both could be rear wheel drive or all wheel drive or whatever. If it's a skateboard underneath, is that appealing to the general consumer? I mean, this is very much. It's been tried and discussed mm-hmm. in theory, as you said, in Absolutely. concept form for decades a, around the world by yep. many car companies. You've got your pickup truck or minivan or people mover or sedan on the platform that you bought. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But then the weekend's coming. You want the sports car. So you take it to your dealership. And with leaving all your wrappers and trash and dishes and crap in your car, (laughs) they take the body off and store it Uh and put some sports car thing on the same platform. And surprise, hey, you've got a new car for the weekend. I'm sorry, Mr. Johnson. We're actually out of sports car bodies for this weekend. They've all already left. (laughs) Exactly. You can have Mr. Smith's other half sports car kind of (laughs) thing. Mr. Smith's 2 plus 2 is available. We haven't had a chance to detail it yet. And don't open the trunk. It's nasty. There's a basketball and an air pump rattling around in there. I don't think that's super appealing to people. (laughs) I really, I really don't. It's going to change dramatically for electric cars, but that brings me to touch on emission standards mm. as influencing what those platforms can and should be, mm-hmm. because we're right at the recording of this podcast in the midst of hearing from the European Commission to change the Euro 7 emission standards mm-hmm. to update them. Why do I say the European Commission? Because this is the executive branch of the European Union responsible for proposing legislation. Mm-hmm. They believe that the current emissions limits no longer represent the available reduction technology. So they're proposing new ones, stricter mm-hmm. ones. Mm-hmm. There's separate regulatory frameworks for each of the vehicle types. Of course there are. In the U.S., you have different standards for your pickups than you do for your little city cars, and you average out your fleet stuff anyway onward. Right. But they also say real-world regular emissions are still not measured under the normal usage that – you know, people experience, which is how Dieselgate See was Diesel uncovered. Gate. See Dieselgate. We did it in a, in a confined space in a certain way. And so the car went, oh, I'll be really efficient now. And you drive it right. out the out the, <laughs> the door. And now it's a diesel truck. <laughs> anyway. They're also not monitored for the lifetime of that vehicle we, either. We could laugh about it now because it's, it's funny. time. Yeah. So why do I, why does this commission matter? Because to my knowledge, there's no other geopolitical grouping or union of countries Influencing global emission standards. Mm -hmm. All three North American countries assess and legislate their own emission standards, as do all the remaining nations on the planet. As does California individually. California does, Latin America, South America, you get it. All the Asian nations, everybody else, except for the Eurozone, Mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. Euro 7 regulatory standards. And that means all the platforms and what car goes on what mm. coming out of Europe. Mm. And a lot of it is our favorite sports cars. I mean, here we are. We just changed the banner on the YouTube page to update our two sports cars mm-hmm. with the cheap sports cars. Mm-hmm. And three of the four are German. 
Interesting point. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Depending on how you feel about Brexit and what's going on there, yours is a British car. So You're right. Yes, it was in the eurozone, but now it's at, okay. Whatever. It, but it was all it was all speaking, one big happy eurozone when that car was made. We could all we could all settle when there. it was yes. made. Yes. Okay. So technically speaking, all four of our sports cars are influenced. You're right. That's a by great this. point. That's a great point. And those are the ones we gravitate towards. Yeah. yeah and yeah. here is GM building the C8 mm-hmm. true sports mm-hmm. car. Ford building the Mustang. Okay, I'll give it to you. True sports car. What remains for the future of the Mustang? Mm, mm. And then here's Dodge over here with the sledgehammer. Well, but think about the platform engine sharing going on at Dodge. Hellcats for everyone. What is that? But it doesn't relate to anything else going on in FCA. They are are an island within FCA. So sports cars as a choice for all of us consumers aren't necessarily North American, American, or built here. So Mm, mm. we're looking around the globe for our fun cars. We're looking at the Asian cars, the Japanese cars, the European cars. So that's why all this matters. And I come back to, for those specific platforms, Mm. it's going to be a choice. But I don't say this to be gloomy about it. I say this because Todd and I have our sources. That's as far as I can go. But we're hearing things like car companies in the future are still going to build sports cars. Mm -hmm. They are. I still think they have to get all the electric people movers out of their system. Yeah, yeah. You offer 20 of them for sale in various sizes yeah. and colors. And then, hey, yeah, sports cars. Because why is Toyota continuing to offer the 86 and Supra despite our best breakdown of the industry to mm-hmm. say, this doesn't make sense? Mm-hmm. Well, and yet they are. And, you know, I, I, and again, I, I say supposedly not because we haven't seen actual real announcements, but because until it's real – I'm going to say supposedly, there's a second gen coming of the 86. I, Much to my utter astonishment. I'm hearing things like turbo included. Which well, is and whether or not very it is, exciting. just the fact we're still talking about a second gen yes. of that car, yes. I think is borderline miraculous. Because, because <laughs> yes. here's the thing. It's sold okay, but it hasn't sold great. Again, it's no Corolla, Camry, RAV4, yeah. or... The rest of their cars. The and, I'm, and, and, and thankfully, at least, now here's the flip side. At least they got over the hump with actually spending the stuff to get a platform that they can revise to make a second gen. They're not starting over. Right, but, right. But at the same time, there's a lot of cost involved to launch a new car that isn't going to be anything but just that car. Ultimately, what I think it comes down to is people, Drew. You're wondering, what is the difference? Okay, you uses the same platform. And that's a minivan on the same platform mm. as the sports car. What's the difference? It's the people making the decisions on how it should drive. Mm. And that is the difference globally from here on out. It's the enthusiasts influencing that. One thing you can never have enough of is car stuff. And that's why we love Haggerty Drivers Club. Starting at $45 a year, you'll get six issues of their award-winning Haggerty Drivers Club magazine, chock full of interesting reads and beautiful photos. And you'll get access to members-only live streams on topics like car values, automotive history, and do-it-yourself tutorials. Plus, membership comes with tons of automotive discounts, including a deal of the week, which is always an incredible deal and lasts only a couple of days. If you love cars half as much as we do, this is the club for you. Learn more at Haggerty.com slash Everyday Driver. Anthony V. is writing in with a car debate that turns us off into the world of Cadillac. It's all Cadillac. Here we are driving old Cadillacs. Anthony is in North Jersey, and he starts off saying he drives a 1996 Cadillac Fleetwood Brome. LT1 5.7 motor, 86,000 miles. He comes from a Cadillac family. He is Cadillac man. Okay. All right. He enjoys old American land yachts. Okay. Now, his girlfriend drives a 99 Chrysler LHS. Y'all remember those? The LHS? The Y'all cab do. The forward design. You we know it. cab forward. And Really, it was just the same platform. They just pulled the wheels back and had this super long overhang in the front. She got free from her grandparents. Okay. Hey. Free car. Free car. That comes back around later in this story. But yes, keep going. Now, Anthony and his girlfriend has been together for five years. And they're both, from what I understand, 24 years old. And these cars have been great to get them around. Love it. That's great. Now, Anthony works as a mechanic for a summer and has a great deal of technical knowledge. His 96 Brome has been good to him. Takes care of any issues he finds. He has no plans of selling it or upgrading it. He likes comfy cars, and nothing new compares. Well, this this touches us, Anthony, into what I would describe as the James May rant. I don't know if you remember this, but but James May, a few years ago, before Top Gear became Grand Tour, he started to be quite ranty about the fact that he thought the ring was ruining all cars. 
Ah, now, we love ah, the ring. Yes. We, we are huge fans of the Autobahn. We're huge fans of the Nürburgring. But you know what? I side with him hmm. because not every car needs to corner great. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The Phaeton kept surprising me with its dynamics, but I didn't get it expecting it to be a cornering car. I expected it to be a car that was great to sit in and be isolated from the world while you go quickly in a straight line, okay, or on the freeway with gradual things set up for the Autobahn, okay? Sure. The reason the Autobahn, you can go well over 100 miles an hour for long distances is because they've calculated those corners when it needs to turn. They're not sharp corners. You can do it at well over 100. So we're not sure. talking about a let's take it on a back road. It's not what the Phaeton was for, Yeah. but it's this big, cushy ride like these old, huge American cars were where they – Corners, dynamics. What are we worried about? We're just gonna, we're just gonna isolate. She's gonna be awesome. And so the yeah, thing is, yeah. even the cars now that need to be the big luxurious cruisers are harder than they used to be. Harder looking, edged, yeah. If you're absolutely. looking for a soft car, it's hard to find one now that just feels like we're cruising. It has always made me wonder, to be honest, when I see spy shots of the new Range Rover whatever being hammered around the ring. Uh I think this is a brand that has built its entire brand and perception on being the world's premier off-road vehicle. And are your customers, do they really care, your customers, about the ring times and that it's been hammered around the ring? Now, does it need to handle well? Yeah, it Uh should at that price level. Range Rovers should handle well. Do the customers care or are they... What are they buying it for is my mm-hmm. question mm-hmm. because now you're telling your customer base and the world that off-road is cool and all, but we want these things to corner and go fast because the people buying them never going to take them off-road. So yeah. this yeah, matters yeah, yeah. more in this Interesting giant box-looking mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. What's the po- I don't get the point. So it is an interesting, I, it's I an think, interesting rant. I think if Ford takes the Bronco on the ring, we should all just stop. We should just we should just ban the ring for a while. It'll be like you know that is official uh, unless somebody's going to do this. Unless it's sideways, Somebody. like across. There's supposed to be a mountain bike trail that goes all over the place around the ring. Now they take the Bronco on that. Okay, if they take the uh, the Bronco was spotted this week on the ring. Some YouTuber you know is what? going to take no. a Bronco on the ring. Don't need to guarantee. Let's let's just know. Back to Anthony's debate. Oh yes, that <laughs> he says the rust has been a big issue with his girlfriend's Chrysler. Okay. Her brakes failed last year, and ever since then, she's wanted something newer. They When's the last time you heard of anybody where their brakes failed? That's a problem. Yeah, big That's time. Now, of course, they can be repaired, but then you have a 99 Chrysler LHS with new brakes. Are and you, rust. Are you really excited? Yeah. Her family is into Toyotas, RAV4s, and Camrys. Her father buys the cars, leases her mom's, okay? okay. So half and half as far okay. as uh, acquiring cars. Her parents want her to lease a brand new car. But Anthony has advised in getting something pre-owned or and used so she can own it. And her parents have made it abundantly clear they will not help if she buys a used car. Mm-hmm. She likes the Subaru crossovers. She is short, so a large car isn't the greatest option like Chrysler LHSs. And she wouldn't mind some luxury comforts. <laughs> <laughs> like how that was just subtly added. Just, Keep going. You know, pointing out the obvious. Uh-huh, yeah. Captain Obvious. She likes heated seats, sunroof, leather interior, that kind of thing. Anthony would prefer she buys American luxury, but his knowledge only comes from GM. He admits that. He hates it when a car feels like a tin can, and he'd like to think that some of his preferences have rubbed off on her. She's driven his cars before. He had a 93 Eldorado without the North Star. Wow. (laughs) That she liked the form factor. And Anthony thinks her best option is a pre-owned all-wheel drive crossover, you know, equipped with some good options, and that's definitely possible. But she has made it clear she doesn't like her cars to be too techy. She... Wants push buttons, not touch sensitive buttons. She wants a key, not the push to start. Okay, all right. The direction with new cars is not going towards keys. I it's hate to not, tell you, it's not helping there for sure. Yeah. So they've been in the work field for two years now, and they are just about to move in together, start their lives, moving out and paying rent somewhere, and having student loans. He said is not going to be fun with a car payment, but mm-hmm. she's been saving a few years. She's ready to buy a car before she's forced to. So ultimately, I think it comes down to us talking about her situation rather than a particular car, even though I do have some suggestions. I, I agree on all of that. I think this is a situational car debate. And Anthony, here's where um, – yeah, let me – they're not your in-laws yet, but let's <laughs> let's have this conversation. Oh, my God. You're always thinking let, about let's, that. Let's have this, this family <laughs> – Therapy conversation. Can we, Anthony? Uh, Your girlfriend's now listening. For all I know, her parents are now listening. So I'm just going to dive right in because the water is cold. Okay. I'm going to back up a few paragraphs here. Her parents would like her to lease a brand new car. Uh 
Later, you mention that if she doesn't lease a brand new car and she goes with your suggestion, they won't help. Now, the between the lines here is, are they leasing her this brand new car? They are clearly going to help if she does. Yes, yes. And it may, and you haven't specified, it almost sounds like they would be willing to just lease her a car full stop. Right, right. You get into the fact that you're 24. You guys are moving in together. You have student loans and stuff to pay for. There's a lot of bills. Yeah. yeah. Are you are you really saying, Anthony, that you would not accept a free car or you don't want her to have something new that is being helped and being paid for? Really? In your finances? In your sure. life starting together? Valid points. And But, 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 <clears throat> in-laws, if you're listening, here's where this gets a little chillier. What, Anthony, is the actual hear me in air quotes now, cost of them helping by leasing her a car. They may say, no, 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 we're going to do this for you. There'll be a cost. You'll, <laughs> you'll feel a payment happening. There will be something in the air there that feels like it's costing you something, even if she has a free car, quote, unquote, free car. Yes. yes. Because this is the reality of in-laws. There's, there's a transaction happening yeah. anytime you get free stuff. And look, this is look. This isn't even in laws. This is parents. When you are now an adult, and a parent is quote unquote giving you free stuff, there's a cost. Okay, because the yeah. because life has changed. You are the adult supposed to be on your own now. They're giving you stuff. A payment is happening here. Your your mileage, your relationship will vary. So. On one level, Anthony, I want to say, look, if they want to lease her a brand new car or help you guys do that, that actually helps you financially and gets her into something reliable. I realize you might not be in the big GM stuff you want her to be in that you've liked, but here's an opportunity for you to have a completely new experience that you can find the cool stuff in that without it costing you something or with it costing you very little. That could help you guys get started. Yes, yes. But you're going to have to weigh that against the mm, emotional cost of having that help. Yeah. And, yeah. but, but think about this. If she gets a old U.S. car that you guys pay for, not only do you have the extra cost of that car, there will also be a cost with those potential in-laws of the fact that she went with you on that idea and she did not do their idea. There Just is navigating that. navigation here, buddy, yeah. that has nothing to do with the car she's in. So I want to caution you to step lightly. I want to caution the parents to step lightly. Yikes. <laughs> Anthony, I see that you didn't write with a budget in mind, and we can recommend some things extrapolating kind of where you guys are at. But I say you have started your lives. You're not looking forward to starting your lives. They have started. I agree with that. This yeah. is life. Welcome to your life. Yes, yes, yes. And I do stand on the independent side of things as far mm-hmm. as being independent and making that clean thing. And it's it's the two of you. It's not, I mean, families are always families, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. there is the carve out of the two of you are building yeah. there. You're yeah, going yeah. in a direction Absolutely. to start your life together yeah, yeah. and anything pulling you into the past or keeping, you know, the, the strings hanging on are going to prevent the two of you from forging your new lives together and figuring out what works and what doesn't. What if you're down to one car for a while, just mm-hmm. financially? Mm-hmm. Is that something you're willing to accept to, if you don't want to go with this brand newly leased car? By the way, I don't think young people should lease cars. It's wasting your money. You're paying to not own the car. Mm. There's usually a large down payment between yep. three and $5,000. Then you get to start making payments a little bit less than the cost of owning. Yeah, yeah. And sure, you're getting a brand new car and it's great and maybe some maintenance is included and you're driving a hot new thing. But I don't recommend it because your income can vary and that Leasing company gets their money. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. Get their monthly payment. And it's tempting to get into something more expensive. You know what? You got the rest of your life to own some expensive cars. Parents have more money. They have more income. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They yeah, can yeah. afford leasing, especially if it's a business write-off. And that's where leasing shines mm, yeah, is the write-off so. aspect. You guys, to my knowledge, aren't writing anything off. Yeah. So yeah. leasing doesn't make sense. I think you need to own the thing outright and you need to spend less. And especially if you want a key and not a push button, you're going to have to go back. <laughs> you're right. Like 10 years right. or more yeah, 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 to yeah. the Mazda 3s of the world and that kind of thing to, okay, there's some amenities, but it's a less expensive car. Mm-hmm. But I say jump into something smaller, a compact, Asian, you know, you're, you know it's going to run. You know it's going to be pretty reliable and maintenance isn't going to cost you too much. 
learn. I, I say start that process mm-hmm. now to learn and then grow into the more expensive cars because leasing means let's go look at BMWs. Don't yeah. do that because then the car becomes an albatross. And That's, I don't yeah. want that for yeah, you. Yeah, you don't want it emotionally either. I, you know, as we're talking through here, I actually just thought of something. Good to drive, big engines, has kind of a big metallic, you know, old school feel, but is okay. worthwhile. SUV, I think it has a key too. I could be wrong. <laughs> that Infiniti FX45. Okay. That's an SUV that yeah. has kind of a big, I mean, those Infinities had a really kind of, heavy-duty feel about the doors and about the metal. I mean, they feel like yeah. a big car interesting, interesting. in a way that some, look, we love the Mazda uh, CX-5. I think it's going to feel flimsy to Anthony. I think it will too, as many cars But will. the FX45 is kind of a kind of a big bruiser of a five-seat SUV. It'll feel substantial. Definitely. And they're older. They're probably, gonna, I, I don't, again, I've just thought of this just now. They're probably about ten grand. I might would recommend key. that. That's That might check a lot of the boxes. I would recommend owning instead of leasing at this point in your lives because the, the lease is up. You're worrying about mileage. You're worrying about mm-hmm. anything because you got to turn it in. Otherwise, you're going to get dinged at the end of your lease. And what if – the thing I've always had about leased cars is if you've got the money, wonderful. Blessings. Yeah. But when the lease is preventing you from living your life because you're going to go over the mileage limit mm-hmm. and we can't mm-hmm. go do that weekend trip because – we're going to put too many miles on the car. Mm-hmm. And then if you decide to not drive the car and drive your car instead, Anthony, well, then you're paying for something you don't use and you're insuring it. And a new car is going to be far more expensive to insure than a 10 or 15 year old something. I don't see leasing as a, a good move. Yeah, your parents can pay for it. But yeah. like I said, I, I want you guys to own and have that ownership and have the understanding about here's how we're going to take care of our cars, the thing that I own. Mm-hmm. And even though it's continuing to depreciate, you'll learn about depreciation. You, you don't yeah. have that balloon yeah. payment at the end or the, the makeup to get rid of the car. You have to pay even more money. Things happen with leasing and they get you. They, they're like a casino. They get their money. They do. <laughs> I've just looked them up. The FX45 is cheap. Now, granted, they're cars from the mid-2000s. It's not going to have the modern cheap. tech. It's not. It's going to be nice. It's yeah. going to be fine. Yeah. But that's the world. I hate fairly high miles and cheap. Anthony, I we both grew up in that. I mean, uh, I was for driving sure. for sure. Honda Accords. I had an '88, '87 Honda Accord. It was. I, I had a string of Caprice Classics. That was <laughs> our. That was our family's shared platform. Was Caprice Classics. That was. We're all sharing that platform. I love that. Uh, the Anthony, I, I really want to want to help you navigate. I, I can't help you navigate, but I want to. I want to caution you on the behind-the-scenes things going on between you and your girlfriend and her parents. And just be careful about potential fallout or landmines mm-hmm. of navigating this improperly there, too. Whether they help you or they don't, mm-hmm. there's just going to be that, that as you are separating yourselves further, there's going to be those weird moments. So be careful there. Be yeah. good to everybody. Be good to your girlfriend. Be good to her parents, yes. and hopefully vice versa. You've got a debate like Anthony's or a Topic Tuesday. Write to us, TV at gmail.com, or you can find us on the website. When you're wondering where to find the second YouTube channel, go to the YouTube tab, and then you're presented with a choice. You can find all of the test drives on the new second YouTube channel, and that is what we consider drive homework. There's a lot of cars coming to that one, but the Cheap Car Challenge continues on the main channel as well. Thank you for writing. When your car needs new brakes, and it will, it's a great time to upgrade for better stopping power. We're excited to partner with PowerStop Brakes for an easy way to get more performance for something you already need. PowerStop is on a mission to deliver better brakes on every vehicle in every situation, from daily commuting to towing to track days. These are bolt-on, direct-fit parts for better braking with no modifications required. Every PowerStop Complete Brake Kit comes with all the parts you need to upgrade your brakes. That includes the pads, rotors, and even those little clips and fasteners. Plus, all their pads are made from a carbon fiber ceramic compound, which they've tested extensively to deliver low dust and noise-free performance. So the next time you need new brakes or simply want to upgrade, visit PowerStop.com and enter your vehicle's information into their easy-to-use car finder. Todd and I even found great kits for our SUVs and cheap sports cars. Give your everyday driver the easy and affordable performance upgrade it deserves at PowerStop.com. Jumping into questions on Facebook, I saw Jeff Rideout has a question. He watched Ford versus Ferrari, and he oh, says, yeah. whenever the driver needed to magically get another 15 miles out of the car while already going 200 miles an hour, the camera cuts to the footwell, mm-hmm. and the driver goes from no throttle to flooring it. Uh-huh. He says, I know they did a lot of work on the aerodynamics, but you're not coasting at 200 miles an hour. 
And Jeff says, I know it's a cinematic device. So you, you see, you know, it's the yeah. see say mm-hmm. you, you want to go faster. Yeah. The foot moves farther. Mm-hmm. I get it. But does that bug you? He says, Todd, does that bug you? <laughs> Why are you racing film? Pet uh, peeves? Yeah. Many. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff. Um, yeah. How long do we have? No, we don't have that long. A uh, couple of things going on here. First off, honestly, the gear shift and gas pedal are to car movies. What the eternal magazine of ammo is to an action film when you watch an action film the hero is able to take down hundreds of people and somehow never run out of ammunition unless unless it's a plot device where he runs out at the exact last moment it realizes he has one bullet or whatever tom cruise does that a lot but in general left in general you can watch old westerns and nobody reloads it's a six shooter. Somebody, somebody at some point have to reload. Is anybody counting? It's, it's what is going on. Is I mean, director counting. It's it's horrifying if you actually count gunshots in an action film because you realize no out. He's still shooting. He's out. I mean, you play a video game and you have to run into this problem. It's like out. Oh no. Exactly. Oh, no. Okay. This is the gear shift gas pedal reality in car movies. We always have more gas pedal. Do you remember Tom Cruise? Days of Thunder. His character's oh name was gosh. Cole Trickle. Cole Trickle, baby. Cole Trickle. That is some <laughs> that is some lowest common denominator screenwriting right there, friends. And and there's a couple of moments in that movie where he needs more speed. This is NASCAR, by the way. Yeah. You yeah. get an extra mile per hour because you happen to draft properly. Right, right. And in some scenes, drafting is key in the film, but there's other moments where he needs more power, and so what does he do? He shifts again and floors it. <laughs> no. But 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 the most you were in third the most egregious two hundred the most egregious that I have seen because I've watched them recently is slap shifting automatics that don't shift in the Fast and Furious movies. Oh yeah, <laughs> there are fr- I'm not kidding. There are frames used. I'm not even like full second frames used like quarter of a second. Okay, <laughs> six to eight frames worth of. I have slapped the transmission because, of course, Dodge was a huge, huge supporter of those films. Right. I've slapped the automatic transmission in my charger. You can see the weird jagged S-curve in traditional Mercedes you know, that you <laughs> right. moved. You see, I've slapped that to get another gear to somehow magically go extra fast in my charger. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> Paul Walker would slap shift the shifter in his GTR, not use the paddles, mind you. Okay. Because apparently that visual sells it better. And then find more gas pedal. This drives me nuts if I think about it in the same way that Eternal Ammo drives me nuts in an action film. So in both cases, I just kind of unplug the brain and enjoy. (laughs) All right. Christopher Lukey says he's noticed, noticed a particular smell when he's driving really hard and getting the engine up to redline. What is that smell exactly? Unofficially, he's decided that it is the smell of fun. But he's curious to what it actually is. I believe Christopher, Christopher drives an 86. Yes. And I, mm, it could be many things, to be what honest. What is that smell? It's, it's, hard to, <laughs> it's hard to diagnose just on not smelling the smell it, right, it, right it's now. It's a whole separate it's, thing, yes. It could be many things. I, I hope it's nothing terrible, to be honest. But uh, maybe it's just things getting hot and you're smelling insulation or you're smelling... Yeah. I don't know. As it any, could be anything. Any, any perfectly running car when it gets hot has uh, it becomes more fragrant. Whether or not these are concerning smells depends entirely on your personal car. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, in a related question, Seth K says, "What does it mean to say a car burns oil, and why do some manufacturers say that a certain amount of oil burn is acceptable within spec?" Primarily, burning oil means piston rings. And you have to watch the mm-hmm. color of smoke. If a car is really burning oil, you, you look at the color of the smoke coming out. Blue smoke means piston rings. It's just bad. burning up the oil. Bad, bad, bad. Blow by is what it's called in your engine. It's burning the oil. There's too much there. But if it's white smoke, coolant is getting into the oil. So you got to watch that too. Primarily, Seth, it means your piston rings are worn and there's the engine is burning up too much oil. It's not just lubricating that cylinder wall and those piston rings mm-hmm. just with the thinnest coat of oil. There's too much, and that flame is burning the oil, Yeah. So yeah. You, and resulting in a lot of smoke out the tailpipe. So manufacturers say because of the engine design, if you think about flat sixes, the pistons are laying flat. They're sideways. So yeah, yeah. there's 
more resting on one side of a piston, the weight of that piston mm-hmm. on obviously the bottom side, just because of gravity yeah, yeah, yeah. than the top is, even though the tolerances are very tight and you could argue that there's, it's minimal, but nevertheless, depending on the engine, it's just the, the design of the engine itself. And so manufacturers give a tolerance. It's just like, uh, you know, airlines and they say, well, you're going to arrive in this time zone and you're 30 minutes early. And you're like, but Tailwind. how did you not? Okay, fine. We're flying here. Becca Walker 90 on Instagram says, how do we decide between getting winter tires on existing rims or getting separate rims? First off, you have to weigh the cost. Okay. I, I actually like, because I swap them myself, having two full sets of wheels and being able to swap them in my garage when I decide that it's time. Because here locally in Park City, the minute it gets kind of cold, all of the shops that do the swaps are three weeks out. You cannot get your car in because everybody went, oh, my gosh, I got to get my tire swapped. Yeah, Any, right. Anytime right. there's – on either of the shoulder seasons. So if you have the ability to have your own rims and tires and can do it yourself, that's the benefit I see. If you're not going to ever do it yourself and you're willing to pay the, let's say, 75 80 bucks, it'll be every time twice a year to change out, then you can just keep swapping them on your current wheels. A lot of mechanics or shops will actually store your alternate wheels for you, alternate tires for you. So that can save you some hassle versus storing them in your garage like I do. So those are all pros to it. But the bigger question here is – she has a BRZ. Congratulations. She's going to drive it through the winter. Awesome. Mostly mild winters. So her question is, unless I have actual snow on the ground, are winter tires necessary? Am I okay with all seasons? Becca, it's a, almost a bigger question on temperatures. Indeed. Indeed. Yes. If, if you're not really going to have any snow and the temperatures are going to hover around the 40s, okay, occasionally it's cold, but it's around the 40s, you're going to be fine with all seasons. If you don't get much snow, but you know what? It's in the 20s most of the winter. You should have winter tires on because they have a lower temperature rating. By by 60 degrees, you're burning through them. Mm-hmm. But in the 20s, 30s, they're actually still kind of sticky tires. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. so that's the benefit. Yep. So you're going to have to figure out what is your actual temperature that you're dealing with. If it's, again, it's 40 degrees and we never see any snow, put on all season, save yourself the trouble. But I think for your BRZ, you should have, I, I, I say this because I had one, you should have some actual rims with some really good summer performance rubber, and you should have a set, second, second set of tires. It's either, depending on your area, I suppose it could be all seasons or it could be winters. But, Becca, if all you're doing is commuting in that car, uh, okay, even the summer stuff I'd start to question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Dean H. is asking, he says, how is it that most American drivers have determined that if they feel any lateral <laughs> G-forces, their car will fall over? So they must brake heavily for any and every curve. Dean, you've noticed. I'm so glad that somebody else has noticed. Because I think the same thing on gentle curves, transitioning from freeway to freeway or on ramps mm-hmm. or off ramps. And I think, what? I, the, how did you not? <laughs> it was You were doing fine. You were doing fine until you slammed on the brakes. Yes. Y- you noticed. I think it's by virtue of experience and track time. I think most people... American drivers aside, most people mm-hmm. don't understand what modern tires can do. Yeah, that's fair. That's modern fair. tires, even at their lowest level, are astounding. It's mm-hmm. not only not understanding what the, the mechanical grip that modern tires provide, but it's understanding what it feels like when they do start to go away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The car just doesn't suddenly pirouette off into the bridge abutment <laughs> or into the nearest house across the... It doesn't just let go like that. Some tires are progressive. Others do let go. It depends on what you're doing with the car yeah, and how stupid yeah, yeah. you are. Mm-hmm. But most people haven't felt those limits to understand, ah, that's what the limit feels like. Anything, okay, three quarters back feels like this. Okay, half limit. Oh, I could go, I could go faster. The car's mm-hmm. actually going to mm-hmm. hang on. Yeah. And then you, as we're talking about, then you factor in temperature and mm-hmm. road conditions and all those kinds of things. It comes down to experience. But then you say, how about all the track people, people driving their Corvettes, they're rocket ships on the straightaway. And yet the person back here in the Miata is just chipping away. Waiting, waiting, waiting. You know, a 92 on the straightaway. <laughs> There's a quarter coming up. Waiting for the first turn at and the end of the mine. straightaway. <laughs> and then by 13 corners in, yeah. you're past them, and then they'll blow by you on the straightaway yeah. again. That's also just a lack of experience. And to be honest, Todd and I didn't start out that way. No, 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 no. We've learned throughout the years by driving more and tracking more and getting more instruction. That's why I think every driver should have some sort of autocross or track experience under their belt because it does translate to street driving. And this is a perfect example of that. Yeah. To understand you can maintain your speed. The car will be fine. It will not Mm -hmm. tip over. 
and then the feeling of being shifted around in your seat, your torso doesn't have to remain perfectly upright and intact at all times. There, there can be a little pressure on your rib cage. That's okay. It's actually kind of fun. It's, Who it's, knew? It's the experience of the sensations. And yes. it's weird because yes. the first time my son experienced this was when I autocrossed, and that ridiculous autocross we created for the big sedans, I autocrossed around that course at the end of the day with him in the Lotus. <laughs> now, now, no one listening, no one listening, no one even not listening would ever look at the Lotus and think, oh, that's prone to fall over. No one would think that. Is car tippy? That's never, it's never going to tip over. And yet the, the sensation of body roll, sudden body roll, to him, he got genuinely scared. Mm. And he asked me, he said, are we going to, he, he flat out asked, he said, are we going to tip over, Dad? Huh. And yeah. it took me a second to be like, because my first thought was, are you insane? Okay. <laughs> Which I have that thought sometimes about my son. But, 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 Unrelated. The, exactly. But, but the follow up was I realized, wait, 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 hang on. He's never experienced anything like this. Sure. Exactly. So, so that's the thing is you don't have those sensations. When you start to feel a new sensation or a more extreme, and I, I hate to use that word because it's not extreme at all, but a more extreme sensation than you're used to in your car driving experience, the human mind says, I'm out of control. Right. Right, And the other thing that happens, and you talk, talk in on-ramps, I see this all the time, you can tell the people that are watching just in front of their front bumper. Yes. You because can if tell you're watching eyes are. a long way down the freeway, then you can come off the gas on the off-ramp, and you're already slowing down enough, and you've way, way anticipated what's happening. And so, yes, there's some sensation in the corner, and you may be going much faster, but it's a gradual shift of weight mm-hmm. versus I'm watching right off my bumper. I'm going too fast. I've exited and watching right off my bumper. I'm going too fast. Oh, my gosh, I'm going too fast. And now suddenly you hit the brakes, and everything that you've done movement-wise is more extreme, which exacerbates the problem. And now you just think, that was, that was way too fast. And the person behind you is going, what's the problem? All right, on – Instagram, a lape eight, a lape eight is asking an oddball detailing question. Managed to get a plastic bag that melted to the exhaust. That's awful. Scraped big chunks off with a razor blade. Hopefully not too much. Hopefully you used your fingernails. Tried oven cleaner on the rest, but it won't come off. What is our recommendation? Do you wait for it to burn off? You don't really want to wait for it to burn off because then you're going to smell the smell of fun that Christopher was smelling in his car at Redline. <laughs> yes, that's, that's exactly what it is. Ho- yes. Hopefully it's not melting plastic. You need a solvent is what you need that will interact with the plastic to to chemically melt it off, but still will be safe for the finish on your tailpipe. I don't know what, I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. It's chrome yeah. or just a polished or black, whatever that is. You kind of need to find out what is the makeup of the plastic bag and then what is a good solvent that won't – Put some under a microscope. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I I say that because there's many solvents at your hardware store that should theoretically melt that plastic that won't be too harmful to the tip of your exhaust. But general cleaning products aren't going to work on the plastic because it's fused – to that exhaust. So many, so many questions. I'm not going to get to all of them, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to do, I'm going to do a, a lightning round. I'm going to go quick. Do it. I'm going to go super quick. Here we go. We've got uh, Scott is asking on Facebook about four seaters for the whole family that are also convertibles. Let's go rear wheel drive as well. Try Mustang, Camaro, Infinity G37, or 911, depending upon your budget. All of those are good rear wheel drive. Four seat seats vary. Uh, it's convertibles you can do with the family. Devin Brower is asking about the Julia. Is is it the TI Sport rear wheel drive or the TI just standard rear wheel drive? Which one would be better? I believe the Sport has a limited slip differential. How are you using the car? Do you want an LSD? That's the answer there. Uh, Rick HMC says, "What is up with the M Sport uh, stripes on my Z4 grill?" I saw that. You know what? They had five horsepower. I don't know if you heard. No, I, honestly, I, I didn't put them on there. It's a whole ridiculous thing about how many cars they're on there. I'm going to leave them on there for the laugh, and I'm going to make fun of them going forward. So that will continue. Uh, there is um, – Tony's asking about how to get his dad track driving. Just get your dad fun driving first. See if you want to do an autocross. Will you ever, he wants his dad to not just stand in the parking lot with his car. See if your dad's willing to drive it hard. Because if he's not even willing to drive it hard, it's a moot point. I'm concerned about him being precious with that car. Uh, two more. Stu Brad says, uh, we've driven all four Miata generations. We did not think that the ND was better than the NC. Do we feel differently now with the engine change? I would say we probably do. Resoundingly, yeah, yes, the, we do. The engine was just not that interesting. It's become interesting now, which is good. And my last one in the lightning round, Petrolhead said, cheap sports car challenge question. He doesn't know how to drive manual. 
He'd love to win one when we raffle them off. What <laughs> happens? Will we teach him? Yes, we will. We are not going to keep people away because you don't have to uh, know how to drive a manual. So if you can win one, let's hope we do give them away, and let's hope you do. All right, last question for me here from Roberta Alberti. Track Daily Crush. We're ending on a TDC. Oh, good. BMW i3, Chevy Bolt, or a Volkswagen e-Golf? You can just throw that e-Golf out right now because mm. of what's coming from Volkswagen. That oh, that's is an interesting point. That is the sacrificial, we did an electric car, that's Volkswagen e-Golf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here you go, world. But just you wait until we have the new cool stuff manifested in a new platform called mm. the ID4. Mm. Well, the ID3, not in the U.S., but still. So you're, which tra- well, electric car are you tracking now? Because I agree with you there. I'm going to, hmm, having not driven the BMW i3... I, I know the Bolt. It's exciting. I'm going to track the Bolt, I think. And really? I'm going to daily the i3. Okay. I think that makes more sense. I, See, I, think, I think the Bolt will be better on track. I think if you can get the later generations of the i3, the later one's got a little bit wider rear tires and a little bit better setup because it is a rear-wheel drive platform. It is, but yeah, those tires are just so they were they were bicycle tires at the beginning, and then they yeah. actually improved. If you get a later one with whatever they did to revise it, I think that would probably be, wind up being the better track car, and you could daily the Bolt forever. <laughs> maybe we'll see all right well guys thank you so much for your questions really appreciate it there's many more on here that we haven't gotten to yet but we will continue to in subsequent podcasts really appreciate your support check out the youtube channels there's both of them and season eight is underway yeah thanks again cheers everybody